The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Okay, but this wasn't an emotional connection. This was a frustration as... as it sounds It sounds a bit like a literary kink. You're like, I want to be left unsatisfied. That's what, <laughs> that's what really lights my fire. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode number 206. Today, we are discussing... Royal Assassin by Robin Hobb. This is book two in the Farseer trilogy, and I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, uh, his hair is so long, I'm about ready to go tell him to get a job. It's Kyle Lemon. Just don't wit with me. Um, <laughs> I would never do that. I think your wife would have something to say about that. Uh, she doesn't care. She's asleep. And, and you know, <laughs> she's asleep in the next room. Let's wit. Um, wit it good. <laughs> You know that old phrase, what's the worst that could happen? Well, did you know it actually has an answer? Yeah, Ryan Bruckman. Oh, man, I'm pretty sure that was what was heard in the uh, OR when I came out. Right, exactly. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Uh, let's see, before we get started with the meat of the episode, let's talk patreon.com slash legendarium, which is where you can go support the show, uh, which we very much appreciate, especially since we are uh, in the spring. Ryan and I and maybe some others will be traveling to Jordan Con, so I hope some of you will be there. We would love to see you there. Uh, but we would not be able to do things like that without Patreon. So uh, a huge thanks to those who are helping us out there and supporting the show uh, and a plea to those who enjoy the episodes but are not uh, supporting the show yet. You can go on and do that for as little as a dollar an episode. That's about three or four dollars a month. Uh, not a crazy sum of money, I would say. Um, Patreon does a thing they're, they're trying to get, uh, you know, they're constantly trying to get creators like us to, um, you know, get more people signed up for supporting the show. And so the way that they do it is they say, Oh, tell people that you want to hit a dollar goal. And I do, I do want to hit a, a dollar per episode goal, but more importantly, I want to hit a patron goal. I think we're at like 82 or 83 patrons right now. And I'd love to get that into triple digits. And I'm not looking for a bunch of $5 per episode uh, patrons. That'd be great. But if it's $1, I think that would be plenty generous. And we would be very appreciative of it. But I'd love to see that number, the number of patrons supporting us, get into triple digits. So uh, so if you're able to, that would be lovely. Uh, anyway, moving on, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube um, and twitch we even have a twitch account that we haven't used in a month or so mm -hmm. uh, but also we just uh signed up for discord we now have a discord server uh, i don't think you guys even knew that ryan pop quiz what's discord i haven't the foggiest idea right now me neither but everybody's <laughs> been bugging us for years to join discord and i don't really know what it is and so here's what we need isn't it a we gaming need... communication platform it, it's a it's a community i think it's like slack for gamers yeah it's the opposite yeah. of that cord yeah. i don't, I don't really... guilds from wow on discord i don't i don't i don't know it's what dope, that means man. okay is it dope yeah. get on discord is it, it's a dope server it's, it's dope af oh, okay cool <laughs> So obviously what we need is a, we need a discord Jafu. 
Now, Jafu, if you are unfamiliar, is the person who started our Reddit community. Um, and, you know, we were happy at that point to learn Reddit and how it works and, you know, participate in the community. But somebody needed to step in and say, hey, guys, here's how it works. Uh, so that's what we need. That's what we need. If you are that person, if you are our Discord Sherpa, then uh, let us know and we will give you all the admin rights and you can just show us how to do it. So uh, you can reach out to me any which way. Can we and get him a, a Legendarium t-shirt that says Discord Sherpa on it? That'd be awesome. Ooh. <laughs> Official Discord Sherpa of the Legendary. We will make we will make one. A single shirt. A single shirt, yeah. Um, Maybe that's just what our listeners will become. We'll just call them all Sherpas now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, that does remind me, though, uh, there's also the legendarium.reddit.com, which you can use to join the conversation pre- and post-show. We did not do a pre-episode discussion thread for this one um, because of reasons. Um, but there will be a post-episode discussion thread, so you can go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and yell at us there. But actually, that's kind of something that it, it segues nicely into something that we wanted to talk about. And I, I put up a post on Reddit a couple days after our previous Robin Hobb episode. And I just want to say huge, a huge, huge thank you to our Reddit community. Uh, when we posted the episode... Uh, you know, I knew we'd take a little bit of fire because we came down pretty hard, especially for the first half of the episode. We kind of came relatively down hard on Relatively hard. Relatively, relatively hard. Because exactly. if you listen, we're not that hard on it. That's true. But, you know, we... We just we, called some people's baby ugly. <laughs> <laughs> to be we, fair, we tend to some read... babies are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> They're breathtaking. We, we tend to read a lot of books that we love and that we know we're going to love. Um, whether we've read them before or not. And so we have, and it's not necessarily that each panelist loves every single book, but there's usually at least one person on the show that does. Uh, so Kyle with the Wheel of Time, me with Tolkien, Ryan with Sanderson, etc. Um, but this time, all three of us kind of came away a little bit uh, miffed, disappointed, um, frustrated with book one. And I, I think some people took that really hard on another unnamed subreddit um, but no, I was really uh, honestly, and I tried to convey this as sincerely as possible. And, uh, hopefully that worked on that Reddit thread, but I do, I want to do it again now and just sincerely say thank you guys so much for being, uh, really awesome with your feedback. You know, I, I know we ruffled some feathers and some people really disagreed with the things we had to say, but on our subreddit, at least it was all extremely, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind hearted, um, civil constructive constructive yeah exactly so um yeah it was it was awesome that we got some uh we got some venom thrown our way on the other subreddit it was <laughs> not it was, as good looking as tom hardy that's for sure it was not um it was not awesome but it was kind of awesome at the same time yeah and it's the thing is one of our big goals we've always had with the podcast is to help increase the the value and validity of fantasy work like show why it's applicable and the fact that people attach themselves so strongly to a work is part of the reason that fantasy is applicable and of worth today so it's good to see that there are people who care who are, that much who are that passionate about yeah. it yeah absolutely um anyway so i i suspect that we may have more things to say about this uh during our discussion of book two or maybe after our discussion of book two but maybe we should get to that yeah um so after after what seven minutes or something of uh throat clearing 
Let's get to our book two recap. This is Royal Assassin by Robin Hobb. Now, we do have a special guest in studio. Ken Johnson, for two paragraphs only, is going to give us a Royal Assassin. I was walking by the studio anyway, you know. Okay, so Ken, uh, you, you have an unfinished recap. I decided to go to Disneyland instead of read book two. I feel like I made the right choice. <laughs> However, I read the first nine chapters of this. So, Fit Chivalry, the bastard assassin, animal talker of Buckkeep, is busted up, poisoned, and licking his wounds in the Northern Mountain Territory. And in the midst of throwing his own little pity party and planning to run away, he's whisked back to Buckkeep against his will and told to get back to work being a kingsman. Once back in Buckkeep, political intrigue abounds, red ships raid the coasts, Verity feels inferior because his new bride is really taking to her queen in waiting status. Regal is kissed or is pissed off, excuse me, because yeah, take your pick. <laughs> typos and autocorrect are stupid. But Regal is pissed off because all of his plans at Regicide were blowed up and Fitz didn't have the good courtesy to just die already. But all that matters is Molly, 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 and all the awkward, angsty teen love gag. From there, my eyes glazed over, and all are I your heard two paragraphs was white up yet, noise. Because I'm done with you. Yep. In sum. The wit is badass, and I really want a wolf cub pet. So back to three guys who are witless and senseless. Have at it. All right. Your mic is off. All right. I'm leaving. Yeah, you're done. All right. Unacceptable. That's fine. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you pretty much covered it all, I think. So um, there's a few major plot points missing, but it's okay. <laughs> all right. Let's see if, if I can do No, we're talking three... about book two, not book one. Y yes. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! Somebody's somebody's still fiery about getting called out. Uh, we'll we'll get there, Kyle. Slow your roll, man. It's fine, man. It's All fine. right, I'm cool. So, book two. After narrowly escaping death in the Mountain Kingdom, Fitz returns to Buckkeep, where he resumes his service to King Shrewd and Prince Verity, while continuing his high stakes rivalry with Prince Regal, who tried to kill him in the previous book. The Red Ship Raiders are continuing their assaults along the coast, but now, with the help of timber from the Mountain Kingdom, Verity is able to build four new warships to defend the coast. Fitz joins one of those ships and kills some raiders with his shiny new axe skills. Fitz is developing some other new skills, though. He continues using the wit and bonds against his better judgment with a wolf pup with whom he can share his mind. His body, on the other hand, belongs to Molly, uh, who is now working <laughs> as a... <laughs> who is now working as a servant in Buck Keep. The two of them carry on a clandestine romance and spend many a delightful night together. Lastly, before undertaking a quest to find the otherlings, Prince Verity resumes Fitz's education in the skill, the magical ability of the royal family. Fitz ain't great at it, but he manages some control by the end of the book, which will come in handy, because it turns out the other skill users in the castle have been slowly leeching away the mental and physical strength of King Shrewd which ultimately results in his death and the implication of Fitz therein. Fitz is captured, tortured, and eventually killed, but not before hiding his consciousness in his wolf. When his surrogate father Burrich digs up his body, Fitz is able to re-inhabit it and must now do something. We don't really know. That's just kind of where the book ends. So <laughs> that was book two. All right, now um, I want to go to Ryan first because I want... I, like I'm afraid to talk to Kyle now <laughs> about the Farseer trilogy. So, so first Ryan uh, book two impressions, especially after book one and the things that we had to say about book one, what did you think of book two? A lot more to invest in. Um, it does. It, it got to be a better read for me. Um, more going on. I, I was more invested in, especially certain characters that 
I liked in the first book, but didn't really play huge roles like the fool. Mm-hmm. Um, the fool plays a lot bigger role in this. His love for Shrewd and him and his connection with um, Fitz Chivalry and that that was a relationship that I really liked in this book. Uh, we didn't really address it a lot in book one because the fool is just kind of this character that's dropped in and out. He he says a couple cryptic things in book one, and that's about all that you get. Yeah. Whereas here right. we get to see him a lot more. Um, we get to deal a lot more with fits and his his loyalties um in the first book he's very much led by the hand on everything this time he has the opportunity to make some decisions he just happens to always choose the same thing because he's loyal to the king right like that's his that's his thing um which is a point that i would like to discuss at some point in time on the podcast today is does the king deserve the loyalty of fits the way that he gives it like, that's a good yeah, question. That's a I'm question. not really sure. Uh, Kyle, all right, I I'm will go to you. Wait, uh, were you done? No, 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 go ahead. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you Ryan, were you're done. You're done. <laughs> uh, actually, this is a much better book. I like this book much better than book, than book one. Uh, the relationships that Fitz builds throughout this book, I re- and he, he started them in the last book, but they feel more genuine. He actually has a purpose. Molly has a purpose for him. He... Uh, like like Ryan just said, I don't know that the loyalty that he shows the king is necessarily explained fully, uh, but you can definitely get the sense that he actually cares about people this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I really enjoy. Um, and there's actually things that are happening, which was interesting <laughs> to read about. Sure. Um, I really, I, I really liked that she kind of explained more of the magic system and how it works a little bit more. We got more into the wit. We got more into the skill. We know what those are about. We get to see him as he bonds with his wolf cub and and how that goes about. And obviously at the very end, that comes and plays a very, very important role. Yeah. Um, And I really liked that. Like if I were to recommend this, she does a whole recap of what's going on. Mike, I'm fixing your mic. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. She does a whole recap of book one in the prologue. And honestly, if I were to hand this series to someone, I would hand them book two and say, here, there's a recap of what happened in book one. This will get you up to speed with what you need to know. If you enjoy this book. And, and you're talking about the prologue. I'm okay. talking about the prologue. Yeah. If you enjoy this book after you've read the prologue in book two, Go back and read book one for the to fill in the gaps to fill in the gaps if you want to. Yeah, but this is a much better uh, kickoff point than book one would have, yeah. would have been. Uh, I said this in the last podcast. I would have put this down after reading book one, completely uninterested. But after reading book two, uh, I have invested interest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, as far as its relationship to book one, it, well, you brought up something interesting, um, uh, the relationship with the king and his loyalty to the king. Yeah, Ryan right, brought that up. Oh, did you? You brought that up? I got you, Ryan. Thanks, thanks, No, Kyle. you said something. <laughs> I did, but I, I also said it. Ryan brought this up. Oh, okay. Well, in a never-ending chain, Let me I'm just... now bringing it up based <laughs> okay. on what you said. Okay. Um, <laughs> I got you, Ryan. <laughs> you said something about how... It's not really, uh, it's not, it's not adequately explained in your mind, but she does reference all the conversations um, in book one 
uh-huh. where like you know the king would say am i keeping up my end of the bargain uh, you know and you make sure you keep up your end as well and she so she references this but then when i think back to book one i'm like yeah i remember those happening but they they didn't seem to have a point in book one they didn't they didn't drive anything. They weren't going anywhere. And so I didn't really pay that much attention. Yep. It was before we were connected to Fitz, too, because right. it's right as soon as he gets taken into the castle, basically. It's just shortly after his being mm. there that the king right. buys his loyalty from the beginning, basically. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, so I, I don't know what book three holds in store, because I feel like with little things like that, like she's she's making callbacks and references. She's also, there are things from book one that she's finally earning in book two, um, you know, whether it's relationship wise or event wise. Um, and so I don't know if book three holds even more in store to shed light on it. But mm. uh, anyway, that's kind of a, a defense and a hope, I guess, um, yeah. for the series, if that makes sense. Well, I think it's interesting because when we talk about Fitz's loyalty to the king, King Shrewd specifically. Right. Um, she has set up a very odd... I don't want to call it a dichotomy, but he has his loyalty to Shrewd and his loyalty to Verity, and he feels stronger it's, it's about not a, his... It's not a love triangle. It's a loyalty triangle. Yeah, that works. Um, and at some point in time, I would expect or hope that that triangle becomes a major plot point. Like, Verity needs something, Shrewd wants something, and they don't work together, and his loyalty is like, you have to break it off somewhere. You have to do something. Um because that's that would be a very strong emotional arc for him to have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? And we would have to decide and, and we would get to see where his where his connection to Shrewd and Verity lies. What is it about each of these characters? Because his appreciation for Verity um has been mostly based on the fact that he thinks he's a good man, that he dedicates like that he's kind of another king's man. Like he dedicates himself so much, he fights so hard. He is... Well, and he's the king in waiting, and so it kind of makes sense to extend that loyalty. Mm-hmm. And he has a connection to his father. Who, um, not charity. Chivalry. Chivalry. Yep. I knew it was a C word. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking that T-ball setup I gave you. There you go, I got you. Um, <laughs> so I would, like, I would hope and like to see that, because in this book... Um, we deal more with the fact that we're just waiting for the impending demise of Shrewd. Like he just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And one of my favorite scenes in this book actually was uh, once uh, Fitz Chivalry went into the king's quarters and kind of tried to take over healing him. Oh, from right. the healer. Throws open the windows and, and gets like, rid of all the ash. And it has a very much uh, King of Rohan. You know, oh, sure, sure. Like that's the whole visual I was getting right here. You know, just this pale dead pop king. quiz ryan what's the name of the king of rohan a yeah i, I don't know <laughs> theoden theoden thank you okay go on sorry i just <laughs> I, I i needed to make sure you retained our first 17 episodes <laughs> as you can see it has been well held um but no that's that was i really like that section uh watching him act out that loyalty that connection i get concerned and it's a very big possibility in this book that fitz is com- is ha- under compulsion basically right like when in book one the king 
by his quote unquote buys his loyalty, he's actually skilling him. You've been skilled into being tri- like so he has no free will when it comes to the king, right? And I don't want that to be the case because uh, that that lessens that connection. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if or maybe it's that Shrewd did that, but his connection to Verity is stronger because it's a chosen versus a a skilled a skilled connection. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I have the same or had the same thoughts, uh, especially in book one. I guess I didn't think about it that much in book two, but yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I I want to... Oh, gosh. I got to decide where to go. Do we simply jump into, like, random bullet points, or is there anything else as far as synopsizing that we want to talk about? Um, maybe just maybe we just talk about the, um, the ending. Okay, so we've well gosh now we're just jumping straight through the to the ending but <laughs> but i think it's okay i and i kind of alluded to this in my uh recap where we get to the end and i was super invested like i'll admit the first half of the book i was a little bit book one as far as my interest level i'm like uh yeah okay i mean i know these characters i'll keep following them around but it after somewhere after the 50 percent mark um i really got into it yeah, things started to happen and yeah, the intrigue and all the plots started to uh, kind of come together and uh, and all that. And so by the end of the book, I am in. And there's the whole thing where the king dies and Fitz is, he's not framed exactly, but he's suspected as the killer of the king and then kills Justin in the middle of um, the court. Actually goes and the, kills the... All the dukes, yeah. which was fantastic. I loved it. But anyway, so now he's thrown in prison and... and it's it's all very exciting with things happening and then when he's thrown in prison um, even though things stop happening it's all extremely tense and emotional and she writes his isolation really beautifully um, and his terror at his interrogations and all of that stuff really really well written Um, and then he's being told by both Burrich and Night Eyes like just die and transfer your consciousness he's like what what are you guys serious like I can't just do that but then he does it and then Burrich brings him back to life period end of story and I'm like next week on Assassin's Apprentice (laughs) (laughs) so I was I was almost livid when that was the end of the book Mm -hmm. so I was reading it on Kindle and they get the little percentage down at the bottom and I'm reading and I'm reading. I'm like, oh, I'm at 92%, 93%. And, you know, things are getting crazy. And it ends at like 95 because they included a few chapters from book three. <laughs> <laughs> so so I thought I had more to go. And then it just ends. And I was I'm like, no. And that's, I mean, maybe that's uh, an argu- argument to be made in favor of actual bound paper books. Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been such an issue. I don't know. But uh, uh, anyway, so I was a little after being so invested in this one uh, eventually the ending left me a little bit cold um but i guess that's just in service of the trilogy like this is you know, much like the lord of the rings this is a single story it's basically a single book and the publisher says find two places to cut it off so that we can market it as a trilogy um so it, the third it, book's going to end with fitz being saved by his dog again right <laughs> exactly cuz book 1 book 2 Saved by the dog. Saved by the dog. Yeah. Anyway, what did you guys think of the ending, Kyle? You're, I liked you're it. being sarcastic. No, I, but... I actually liked it. Um, yeah. It was. It did. I mean, it was a cliffhanger, obviously, but it. You know, my reference for this, what I was thinking about the whole time I was reading it, was Game of Thrones. 
um, and spoiler alert for that, but if it, yeah, whatever. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones, you're in for it. Uh, just Jon Snow and the whole idea that, you know, when Jon Snow died and was resurrected, everybody was thinking like, oh, he's going to warg into ghost. And, and I thought, oh, this would be cool if this actually happens this time like in this book. And, and it did. And it, it was did. cool. It was, yeah, I liked it. It was an interesting few pages. Ryan, what did you think of the ending? Um, I remember reading it and just, I really, I was appreciative that she went so far. Like, yeah, he died. Yeah. He actually died. That's great. Um, in terms of as a reader, I think I would have, I, w- I expected more of a cutoff where like he dies and then you get this little epilogue where Birch is, has a shovel and he's, and he's digging and he's like, you know, so you're just like, oh, they're going to try and bring him back. Something like that versus right. the, oh, 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 he's back already. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and then it was very the epilogue abrupt. after that. Yeah. Yeah. But I no, think that's, that's good. I, I hadn't thought of that. Like having that as the epilogue, that would have been, and, and it would have been jarring perhaps, but it would have been an opportunity to have a Burrich point of view. Mm-hmm. We haven't had anything but Fitz point of view up to this point, except for some of the, the chapter uh, headers, whatever we call those, the epigraphs. Um, but uh, so it might have been too out of place to have a Burrich POV, but I think it would have been good. Well, and in terms, but the thing is also in terms of this series, it has been all from Fitz's first person, like from him dying to waking up, that would be the extent of the narrative anyway. Like I, I understand it. Yeah, you know, to jump into Birch after doing first person the whole time doesn't really make sense, but that's what I was expecting more along those lines. Yeah, um, I, and it sets up things for her to follow up on and say, "All right, how are you going to get him out of there?" Because he's currently with Night Eyes, like right, or like, or his mentality is still that of, right, right, right of dealing with that. Um, and I think I find it kind of odd, but some people have kind of championed Robin Hobbs' writing style for the very reason you explained of being left cold. Like oh, like um, it, it's kind of emotional like... turmoil. Like that she had, she's not afraid of leaving her reader in the lurch, like and angry and hurting or whatever from like right, right. You're emotionally affected. It's like. Okay, but this wasn't an emotional connection. This was a frustration as, as It sounds it sounds a bit like a literary kink. You're like, I want to be left unsatisfied. That's what <laughs> that's what really lights my fire. <laughs> uh no, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, it's well put. But except um, for the literary kink part. <laughs> the other thing, I mean, not just the whole section about uh fitz dying and going into night eyes um but the fact is is this is kind of uh, quite frankly all the books have been this way but this way more so than other empire strikes back where the bad guys have won right verity has been declared dead by the king regal's taking over ketrakin is like in hiding it's everything that can go wrong has gone wrong and I want them to have more, again, just like I had in the first book, but I want our heroes to get a few more wins than they're getting. Like when Fitz was, you know, getting <laughs> getting it on with Molly, like when he's actually building that relationship, I'm like, hey, yes, a relationship. Probably going to get screwed up at some point in time. I thought she was going to die. Yeah. I thought for sure she was going to die about halfway through the book. Yeah, I was kind of figuring that same thing, but then in the end, their relationship falls she apart. She just breaks she- up. She's like, I'm leaving you for, because I finally found something that I love, you know, someone that I love more than you. And then I thought that was Burrich. I thought she'd left him for Burrich, which I thought would be fantastic. And that didn't turn out to be the case either. And she just left. 
No, yeah, just but, not. and I, I had the thought, like, I that wording is very specific in there, and I remember reading it and going, she worded that a specific way. She didn't say, I'm leaving you for another man, I'm not, right, do whatever. Right, right. It's like, I think you are pregnant. That's, yeah, that's kind of the conclusion I came to as well. I've, I've found something that I can devote myself to, or whatever the wording was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the fool had talked before about there being a a royal, like, there's supposed to be a, another child, and he's asking about it because it was either her or Ketrikin that were supposed to have a child. Right, and, and or. Turns and, out, and or. Yeah, so I was like, okay, maybe maybe it is, because, yes, Ketrikin's with child. But... Right. Um. Okay, well. Uh, now I want to... Okay, so I'm going to have a lot of positive things to say about this book. And so I want to start with the very beginning one. <laughs> um, this, is, this is a positive thing that I want to say, but if you don't uh, mind me changing topics. Go for it. We good there? Because right, we'll get back to the Molly stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of diverting us away from that for the moment because we'll come back to the Molly stuff. Um, Just like Fitz. Ha, <laughs> uh, So... The beginning of the book, I we just come off Assassin's Apprentice, and speaking of endings that leave you cold, I was just, I mean, the ending was okay, but like the book as a whole, I was just like, like you, Kyle, I'm, I am not interested. Yep. If I didn't have to read this for the podcast, I wouldn't keep going. But then when I started book two, uh, a marvelous thing happened. After two or three chapters, I was like, wow, I'm really into this. This is, this is fun. This is interesting stuff. And I think I actually even texted you guys about this. So this would have been a week or two ago. Um, I texted you guys and said, hang on a second. She just kind of discarded Fitz and made herself a new little Fitz, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was, and so I, I mean, I'm jesting a little bit, but it was, I thought the change was really effective um, and needed and yeah. well done. So the big change that I can remember off the top of my head is, uh, and Burrage remarks on it is when they come back to Buckkeep, he is finally asserting his kind of uh, half royal nature. He's ordering guardsmen around and he's taking charge of situations. And this, we have absolutely no character development that leads to this. But, you know, she kind of throws a line at Burrage where he says something like, well, you know, you got really used to ordering people around in the Mountain Kingdom, didn't you? while you were convalescing. And that's the only indication that we get that there was some sort of um, change in him. But as abrupt and unearned as it was, it was really, really welcome to me. And it made me kind of appreciate Fitz or or, or enjoy reading him, I guess, more than I had. Yeah. What did you guys think? No, I think that, I think the points you just made actually kind of drive home my idea of if I were to hand this to somebody, I would hand them book two and say, read this. And then go back and, see and, treat, like it. and treat book one as as a prequel to fill in some gaps if you wanted to. Right. But, the f- but it felt fit, fits felt different from page one of this book. Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely, and in a very good way. Much more interesting. Much more like like I said, it was much more obvious where his uh, energy was being spent for building relationships. What his purpose behind doing certain things were uh so yeah i agree yeah okay i think it mostly comes from the fact that he is able now to make choices whereas previously he was not prone to make choices 
I wouldn't say it's an entire discarding of the character and total change, but it was, it is more of an abrupt realization um, because he is what he is because he was paying attention in the first book. Like if you go back and you think about the things he was going through and then the things that did happen there, his time with Ketrakin in the mountains, that has to come from somewhere that his ability to be a royal lead type thing. Um, some of it's his training with Chade, some of it's just being there. But I think we like him more now because he has been somewhat released from being the pawn in the game and is now an active player. And that is always more interesting to read than to watch someone just be constantly pulled side to side yep. who doesn't dictate any yeah. of their own destiny. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was joking. I think I was joking with you guys about it um, in book one where like, it's people would say, and, and this was the case in some of the Reddit comments that we get or got on the last episode's thread where people would say, no, it's, it's so realistic. She's writing uh, very, very believable characters. And I would say, yeah, I totally agree. In book one, he acted just like a 13-year-old kid. And most 13-year-old kids basically just want to play video games and masturbate all day. Like, <laughs> that's all they want to do. And that's all that he seemed to like be capable of. Uh, well, you know. That's why game, you know what I mean. that's why game companies designed a two-handed controller because if you only had a one-handed controller. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, blah, 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 joystick joke, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Switch is totally revolutionized. <laughs> they don't call them Joy-Cons for, you know, no reason. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Fitz, Fitz is a totally believable uh, teenage boy in that book. But, but he's a completely of, uninteresting But one. part of that is like you don't write biographies about your typical 13-year-old boy sitting in his basement playing yeah. video games and masturbating. Like that's <laughs> not – it's not interesting. Harry you... Potter would have been so different. <laughs> <laughs> not that much so, different. <laughs> So yeah, so once he becomes <laughs> so once he becomes more uh you know of a, a decision maker, like you say, a player in the game instead of a simple pawn, then suddenly, oh, okay, I actually want to read about this person. So um yeah, so so far, like just just go right on down the line. In what ways are book two better than book one? And like is book two better than book one? It's uh, all of them, mm. as far as I can tell so far. So um, let's let's move along, and um, I'm wondering if we should go back to Molly already. Should we do it? Do we want to talk about Molly, or do you I have want, something else you want to talk about first? I want to talk about something else because it it has come back to me through other discussions people have had with me, and and even the name of the of her work as a whole. Um, it's and I wish I had looked this up before I brought it up here. It's something of the elderlings, realm of the elderlings. realm of the elderlings. Yeah. yeah, and we know that in this book. Uh, Verity decides to go off to get the help of the elderlings like happened in a previous king's right, right. reign, right? King Wisdom? Maybe? Uh, I think so. Yeah, Kyle, don't forget to talk about the naming convention in this one. So he decides to go off and get the elderlings. Who or what or why or are the elderlings? <laughs> we haven't really had much of a clue, and I, I can understand why it's okay to leave that somewhat unanswered. But we better get answers about who they are sooner rather than later. Well, or or um, if we're not going to get answers, we need some really intriguing questions, and we don't even get those. Yep. How are there, the other things going to help? Like, yeah, there's there are very very brief conversations between Fitz and the Fool and Fitz and Ketrickin, where there are some 
like, oh, I, I wonder if we can get the elderlings help. And, and it's like, she's dancing around the edges of that question. Who are the elderlings? Where'd they come from? What type of being are they? You know, are they human? Um, or are they dancers? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, every character in this world seems to be aware of the elderlings and knows who they're. So it's one of those things like, Except I don't for the need reader. to say, I don't need to say what they are because we, everyone knows this. Like, I can just call it a mouse because everyone here knows what right. a mouse is. Right. That sort of thing. And I'm like, but like Kyle said, we don't. We yeah, yeah. don't live we there. Need, we need something. Give us something to grab onto. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And this is, um, I, I kind of, with all of the yeoman's work that book two did to make book one more interesting to me, I'm, I, I was kind of just thinking through this entire book, like, all right, fine. Book three will... We'll deal with the we'll, we'll finally get us some of those answers. I'll just shelve this for now, which is not my favorite way to to read it, but um, whatever. Um, anyway, Kyle, you look like you're about to say something. Nope. Nope. Okay. No, I just have uh, you know st stuffed up sinuses, so I'm just mouth breathing right now. Sweet. So. Sweet. Well, um, <sighs> you mentioned at the beginning, toward the beginning of the last episode, that uh, you wanted to talk about the naming convention, and then I promptly ignored you. Okay. Now is your chance. Uh, tell I don't, me, I mean, tell I, me your thoughts. I don't have anything deep or profound other than the fact that it's that you hate it. That I hate it, and it <laughs> makes it really confusing because it's so generic. Where you have people named things like chivalry and patience, and and I, what it, what it does is it feels like a cop out of here's one singular attribute of a character that I am now going to assign to this character. And that's all that I think about. So when you hear the name Patience, that's all that I think about for that character. And that character is now crippled for any sort of character development. Yeah, you, meaning that Patience can't lose Patience? Sure. Or, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, not so, sure. Yeah, you're going to yeah, have to explain so, more of what you mean. Yeah, so anytime I... Any, I mean, because we don't really see a lot of them super consistently. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's... That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like patience now can't have any other attributes other than patience. That's the predominant thing that I think about for that character. And if she acts outside of that, it feels weird to me. Really? I, I guess I didn't think too much about it because I mean, a character like patience that I, I didn't really notice a lot of patience coming from her. I, I, I kind of chalked it up to parents gave their kids names of things that they wanted for. Yeah. or or from them um anyway so i i guess my problem my only problem with it because i'm mostly fine with the naming convention i i don't uh, you know it's fine it's mm -hmm. do what you will um it was just the confusion there was uh lady grace i'm like oh wait because there there are references to lady grace sure. in the last few pages of book two and i'm like wait a minute who uh no and, wait, I, which and one I think is she and i think that gets a little bit to my point as well is that they are like if you hear then even the name Fitz, like it's Fitz Chivalry, but you have Fitz, and I can remember like oh Fitz is this guy, and here's all these characteristics of isn't, Fitz. Isn't Fitz just German for son? I was sure. asking about that. I was going to ask about that because I didn't know if Fitz was a generic term because they say I think it's in the first book they say Fitz. Well, that that works for you because that's what you are uh -huh. is Fitz, and I'm like, is that a local term for bastard? Is that like, or is it son or what is it? Because I, I wasn't aware other than that it's supposed to describe his status with chivalry. Mm -hmm. What, yeah. What I think the naming, what this naming convention does 
is it doesn't allow for any individuality of a certain character or any character that has these really generic names. So like you said, Lady Grace, you know, when you're introduced to her, you immediately assume that attribute or you attach that attribute to her and you don't really have to remember what she's all about because of the way that she's named so you're so you're saying you don't like the shortcut the character building shortcut i don't like that and like i said i think it takes away from any ability to individualize your characters Hmm. okay kind of like Uh, by the way hero hero yeah fitz is um is like a middle english uh version of son from the french fils uh meaning son so anyway that's where that came from i misspoke uh not german so I, I I think I, I I see where you're coming from. I don't have the problem with it that you I do. Mean, just just the confusion was kind of a bothersome. Yeah, I mean thing it's super me. confusing, especially when you have a larger cast of characters. I mean, we could talk about Wheel of Time and how confusing those characters' names can be. All and four thousand of them. Yeah, and it's not the same naming convention. Right. But if you are going to have a larger cast of characters, uh, I think it was done with the intent to make it easier to keep track of them. But and I think for you it had the opposite. But effect. I think it has the opposite effect. Okay. Well, and it identifies. I think if I remember right, in the first book they talk about how the that naming convention is to identify the, them as royalty type right, as well. Right, right. Um, so it's supposed to help identify the farseers a little bit out of the book. But she's perfectly capable of creating good character names like Birch and and Chade and all these ones. Like they're... right. Hell, even Molly's better than Patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I will say it makes it very easy to name horses, uh, because. Fitz describes exactly what he is, and his horse is Sooty, which <laughs> described like her coat or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Verity, which is French for truth, rides a horse named Truth, which I, I just kind of rolled my eyes a little bit of that one, but whatever. Um, okay, anyway, let's uh, let's move on because I don't want Kyle to. Yeah, I'm fine. You're oh, you're okay. I'm fine. No, is that vain? Kind of come back down. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, all right. Well. Um, okay, <clears throat> Molly. We cool talking about Molly? Second best female character in this book, uh, next to Ketchikan. Yeah. Okay. Um, I agree, but uh, I want I want to go on a, a little detour here, um, a tryst, if you will. Uh, <laughs> we already said no whip bonding with us. So, <laughs> so I want to talk about chapter twelve which is the first sex scene between Fitz and Molly. And uh, Ken made fun of it because Ken is Ken and Ken is dumb. Uh, hi, Ken. You, your mic is off. You can't even, you can't even defend yourself. Uh, but I got you. Yeah. Well. Uh, so I really, really liked this sex scene. Um, now, I thought that Hob kind of nailed the confusion and the emotion of the whole situation there wasn't a lot of like it, it wasn't like george martin you know getting into the nitty-gritty details of uh, of what's going on or something but um it reminded me a little bit of the scene that scott lynch wrote in republic of thieves um and so i'll, I'll try to mention that without spoiling too much but uh, two characters have sex for the first time as teenagers just like these two and he does i, I thought he did a good job of kind of uh, you know, talking about how fumbling and awkward it is uh, first time through, but how, um, you know, how invested you are in the situation and, and how exciting it is and all of that stuff. But I thought hers was much, much better. I liked his, but I thought hers was 
really fantastic. Um, and it's not, so it's, and the thing that I was struck by while I was reading it isn't that it was super like accurate or even real, but that um, it was appropriately evocative of the feelings that you have as a fumbling teenager. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to bring that up and we can use that as a launching pad to talk about Molly and their little, um, relationship that they cultivate in the, in the middle of most nights. Uh, I thought she did a great job writing that scene and it kind of informed how I felt like she had written the relationship as a whole. Um, very effective and could be because it's a female author with a different perspective than we're used to getting from uh, the, the guys that we tend to read. Uh, but yeah, what'd you guys think of Molly, the sex scene, the relationship, whatever. I think it went a long way to build that relationship. And, and again, like I said before, it gives you a reason. It gives, it gives Fitz a reason for his actions. Um, or Molly gives Fitz a reason for his actions. Every teenage boy who's ever had a girlfriend, that is the reason you do everything. Um, and I think that the way that she slowly built that relationship up and and how believable it was like you said made it so when she finally comes and breaks up with him uh that's like you guys were talking about how i thought she was gonna die the whole time i thought she was gonna get killed off halfway through the book and i think having her break up with him like that was actually worse for fits than had she died i think that her Oh yeah, she making the conscious gone on as a yeah, legend in his making mind, right? the conscious choice to break up and step away from that relationship would be much more soul crushing than had she died and fit like you said fits holding her on this pedestal for the rest of his life of his lost love or whatever. Right. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question out here because I think this is a very interesting <laughs> moment to think about her reasoning for leaving Fitz. Not just, I found someone that I, that I love more, but it was the, you can never love me enough because you love your king more. We, we could be together. We, you could, we could have what we want. You just have to walk away from the life you have with, with the king, that loyalty. And this is why I bring up the discussion about, is the loyalty to the king earned? Because every character, every person, human, fiction, otherwise, tends to have a line and this and that line is where the friction happens and we say what ha what do you have to do to get that character on the other side what has to happen to fitz for him to say no molly is more important because i'm glad that molly sees that she's that she will always be number 2 to him like because of his so for dedication. her sake you're glad she walked away yeah and because of what fitz is i think fitz is stupid for not for for doing that because molly is could have been a great option for him. Terrible book. Like Fitz says, oh, all like, right. Like if he if he goes with her, like okay, we're gonna go to a cottage by the sea, and well, yeah, it doesn't work in in a fantasy novel to be like, hey, and they went to a cottage by the sea and lived happily ever after, and the rest of everything that I left in, in the middle of the book. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. I get it, but generally speaking, if you want to look at why she's a good character, why Molly's a good character, because she has the strength and foresight to be able to say. I realize that this is not good and I can, and I'm going to walk away before it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I tell you what you're reminding me of? This episode's going to go so long. Um, you're reminding me of 50 shades of gray. Why? 
<laughs> which I've never read, but I did watch the first movie because I lost a bet to you guys. Like, yes, I remember you had to ago. review it. Um, I, so my wife and I went and saw it. And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, basically she gets, she's in a relationship with this guy and he's like, you know, kind of manipulative and borderline abusive and all this stuff. And at the end of the first movie, um, she's like, she's like, you've crossed a line. I'm out. And she gets on the elevator and she's like, I'm out of here. The elevator closes the end of movie one. And I remember coming out of that, just kind of, this is what reminds me of uh, what you're saying is um, coming out of that going, well done. Good decision. This was not a healthy relationship. Um, Oh, oh, there are two more. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> so you're coming back. so like it. there's there's so there's a book three so it's like oh you know what molly for your sake this was probably right i mean we don't know if she's pregnant at this point i i have no idea um so maybe she is maybe she isn't but a, uh, with the information that we have you're making the absolutely correct decision you're walking away from a situation that you know will never be uh to your benefit and uh and, and good job oh oh there's a book three. Oh. Okay, well, I guess you'll be back. Well, I'll tell you what I wanted to have happen because I like, like I said, I like my character. I like the main characters to get a win every once in a while. Sure. And just having the relationship for a little while is kind of a win. Sure. But I wanted him to say, I choose you, try and make that choice and end up not being able to make the choice. Right. And then she goes off versus him saying right from the get go, no, <laughs> that's, no. Uh, that's not how I work. Bros before hoes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right i think you just said bros before hoes. <laughs> I, I think i think you might have i did i oh, did okay all right i don't agree with the sentiment but that's kind of what fitz did there and that's right really i brought up 50 off. shades of gray uh, we we all bets are off in this episode yeah episode two we've hit masturbation and 50 shades <laughs> of gray and everything. we're really so, high level we're not just bros <laughs> so oh my gosh that was have we, uh, have we invented a level four did, is this level four? Yeah, have we invented it? It's a, or maybe it's, it's lev- level zero. Level, it's um, <laughs> the level that only requires one hand. Le- <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, there are Mario secret levels. <laughs> <laughs> the lost, the lost, lost levels? levels. Mario lost levels. Yeah. Incognito mode. Um, we we do have um a few more minutes left. Uh, do we? <laughs> 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 are you done no Kyle, we're good done? no we're good i just am surprised it feels like we've been going for a while uh, it, well yeah so we've been going for like 15 minutes or so I don't right. um so we got a few more minutes i want to bring up a few quotes yeah. uh things that uh that kind of struck my fancy as i was reading through it one is a recurring quote or a, a recurring theme throughout the book uh and it's burrich who says the fight isn't over until you win it fits that's all you have to remember, no matter what the other man thinks. Uh, the fight isn't over until you win it, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I I don't know if I 100% am totally on board with it, because uh, what what's his name says you got to know when to fold him. Uh, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers says you got to know when to fold him and I, and when to walk away. I think that's probably you know wise. But on the other hand, there is something to the idea of um not giving up until you know until you win so i don't know i I really like this quote well yeah put a pin in it because we'll deal with it again oh really but 
um, the end of the book kind of makes him face that very quote and say, you know what? No, I'm losing this one. It's not over as a whole, but I'm losing this one. So I'm, you know, dying. Right. Doing that. But Okay. Uh, well, here's another one for you. And this one, um, this, uh, so I've got several more. This one is simply a nice uh, prosaic flourish. Uh, she writes, uh, and this is during the torture scene, which I, like I said before, I was really invested in. I thought she was writing it really well. And uh, the line is, pain was like air now. I moved through it. I breathed it in and out of myself. And when I read that, I just went, that, that is a good line. Yeah. Well written. I don't know. There's um, a lot of people were saying like uh, Robin Hobbs prose is what really sucked me into the book. And I, I don't know that I totally have had that reaction myself. Um, it's it, perfectly serviceable, very, you know, well written. She's obviously skilled, um, but it, it's not like Rothfuss level uh, stained glass kind of stuff that we're talking about here but there are a few moments that i came across where i was like no that's yeah. that's a really good flourish well done so um all right next one for me uh this one this one may have a little bit of discussion depending on what you guys how how willing ryan is to uh take me up on on the fight that i'm offering here all right justice there's a thing we shall ever thirst after and ever be parched no, we content ourselves with law. 100%, 100% agree with this statement, um, especially depending on how we define justice. Um, and this is something that I've actually been thinking about a lot in the last few years. Um, but I think these days, a lot of people are using the word justice as, if not synonymous, then at least very closely related to the word equality that for something to be just, there must be equality. And I think in both cases, especially if you, uh, if you closely relate it to that word, then what you're dealing with is a mirage. It's something that you can see in the distance, but it will always be in the distance. And no matter how hard you try, you will never catch it. It's, it, it, it can be, you know, it's a real thing that you can see. It's a phenomenon out there. And it's something that we can talk about um, and refer to, but you will never catch it. Uh, and the best that we can do is the rule of law um and and so this is a sentiment with which i heartily agree do you guys want to take up your verbal boxing boxing gloves or do you want to leave this one behind no i i don't entirely disagree with you on that I don't, as much as you would expect what probably for me to do so w u t <laughs> um the the difference I would say is that just because it's in the distance and you won't necessarily get there doesn't mean that the steps towards it aren't worth taking. Sure, um, sure, that'd be that case. But yeah, no, I it we do tend to equate equality and justice, or as I would put it, balance. Um, in terms of man-made things, that's where equality can exist. It doesn't exist naturally. Is inside man-made things like law. Mm -hmm. The concept of justice. To me, that's just outside of man-made. Like justice is a a, a, a foundational virtue. principle. Yeah, I found it, that works. Um, where it's not really subject to our. It's definition. yeah. It's it's um it's a concept beyond the reach of man. Yes. Okay. Um, and those things in those things, equality doesn't necessarily exist, but balance does. That's the natural state of things. It tends to be balance of, you know, trying to achieve that. So it's 
it's learning how to control the balance of things. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. I love um, the balance is milking a cow. <laughs> <laughs> if only this were on Facebook Live. Oh, balance I know. the cow. Oh, yeah. Oh. So farewell, Facebook Live. Um, okay, Kyle, did you want to say anything? or, or do you uh, want to do I mean, this is a little bit little bit of a turn but it reminded while you you two were talking it reminded me of something that i've talked about with my father-in-law quite a bit where we talk about fair is not always equal right um and the idea of that balance that you're talking about ryan where Mm -hmm. you know for example just pulling this out of nowhere but it's like the idea that um you know my father-in-law was talking about paying for his children's schooling so he was going to pay for all of his kids to have a college education. Uh, you know, some of his kids went to the University of Utah, cost a whole bunch of money to get their bachelor's degrees, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars. My wife goes to a technical school, costs way less to get her education to do that. Right. And then, you know, we had some things where they had a car that they were going to sell us. They sold it for a really like way underbooked price. Yeah. And, it, you know, the idea is like, Somebody was complaining that, oh, well, you got a car and all this stuff. And it's like, well, but fair isn't always equal. You know, you're not coming out to a perfect dollar amount. Right. They're like, oh, you got $20,000. You got $20,000 worth of stuff mm-hmm. or whatever. It's it's uh, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And I know that that's not exactly what you're talking about. But no, I, I feel that's, like that's actually it's in, really, really. It's in the vein of yeah. Yeah, the same idea. And that's something that's always stuck with me. Uh having that conversation with him and, and thinking about how, how do I perceive uh, equality and justice and, and fairness and how do I pass that on to my kids? Yeah. yeah. What that means. So. Uh, anyway, I, I hope it's a concept that we come back to in book three. I guess I'll be on the lookout for it because I really liked that uh, discussion that was had. I think I can't remember what chapter that was in uh, right now. It doesn't quite matter. Um, I want to move on to the last thing that I have highlighted and then maybe we can, this, this will be my final thought and we can uh, go to final thoughts from you guys. Um, There, the concept of centering is brought up, especially toward the end of the book. It's made more explicit, but then I realized that uh, she'd been talking about this throughout the entire book. There's the part when uh, Fitz tells Molly, we are not going to be able to get married or we're not going to get the King's permission to marry. Um, and it breaks her heart, it breaks his heart, everybody's sad, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then there's this passage, and so I'll read a little bit of this. Uh, She had quietly given up hope that we would ever wed. If I stopped to think about it, it grieved me to the edge of madness. She did not rebuke me with it, as she knew it was not of my choosing. She did not even ask what was to become of us. Like night eyes, she seemed to live only in the present now. Each night of closeness we shared, she accepted as a thing complete and did not question if there would be another. What I sensed from her was not despair, but content, but containment, a fierce resolve that we would not lose what we had now to what we could not have tomorrow. And so when I read that, I thought that's, that is something worth considering. Very interesting quote. And then at the very end of the book, when he is doing his meld with uh, Night Eyes, um, It says, the exercise for centering oneself is a simple one. Stop thinking of what you intend to do. Stop thinking of what you had just, what you have just done. Then stop thinking that you have stopped thinking of these things. Then you will find the now. 
the time that stretches eternal and is really the only time there is. Then in that place, you will have, you will finally have time to be yourself. Um, and it's, it's a very thought provoking quote. And when I tie it all together, I, it, it brings a really interesting possible discussion. And now we're coming up on an hour. And so I don't know how much time we have to have the discussion, but we can go for a little while, I guess. But the idea of centering and, uh, and basically this, this thing that I think is, uh, highly sought after in our present day culture, this idea of being centered, just, you know, be here in the here and now. And what Robin Hobb is saying is that doing that puts you into what Fitz experiences as a wolf-like state, you know, kind of an animal, uh, you know, one with nature, you, you exist basically to sleep, eat, and mate. That is, and, and that's all that really matters to you. Um, but that's not human. It's not like to be human is to be aware of the past, to have hopes for the future. Uh, and with all of the pain and regret uh, and joy that that brings, um, but we have to step out of the now. We have to be uncentered to experience those things. Um, at least that's what I'm reading in her book. And I thought it was a, a very interesting thing to ruminate upon. Um, did you guys notice this? Or am I, am I so smart that I... Okay, never mind. I was never mind. No, because this <laughs> each character that interact that interacts with Fitz tends to follow a a philosophical line of, of for him to figure out, and his connection with Night Eyes is that is the centering, the being in the now, or the the concerns of the future, because that's always his fight with Night Eyes. You know, why are you worried about that? Like, Night Eyes is always just. I'm just hungry. Hunt. Just, hunt. just hunt. Just come and hunt. Come be pack. Come be do this. Um, it will be very interesting to watch that relationship going forward uh, and how he fits having now been night eyes, literally just as part of his conscience, how that affects him going forward. Um, that whole concept of centering the now reminds me of a conversation in a TV series that struck me. It struck me back the first time I saw it and it has stayed with me ever since. Um, and to varying degrees, I, I believe it. Season one of Heroes, Peter Petrelli, not Peter Petrelli, Nathan Petrelli has a discussion with the villain of that I'd season. I never watched it. That's fine for okay. those who are there. But the villain turns to him and says, Nathan, do you want a life of happiness or a life of meaning? He says, well, I'd like to have both. He says, it's not possible. To have a life of happiness, you must only be aware of the now. What is here, you cannot be concerned with the past or the future. If you want to have a life of meaning... You must be constantly aware of your history, your past, and your, where you are going in the future, so that you know what so that you know what decisions to make. And I've thought about that a lot of times. And while I don't one hundred percent agree with it, I find it especially in situations like this, where we talk about these being centered and everything. It's why balance is so important to me personally in decision. It's it's finding that when is it time to be centered? When is it time to be aware of those other things? Because Really, if you dedicate it entirely to one, you are saying, I will only have, I will only be happy because I have what, because now is the only thing that exists and I will have, like, I'm happy with what I have now, or I will have meaning because I'm going to do something with what I, with what I know. Right. Yeah. All right. Silence. <laughs> 
silence. Okay. Um, I want to kick it to you guys for final thoughts. Kyle, do you want to start us off? Uh, yeah. Um, I'll, I mean, I'll just kind of reiterate what I talked about earlier that I do think that book two was a vast improvement upon book one. Yeah. Um, I think that having said that book two being a good book and, and being invested in these characters still does not make book one a good book. No, no. Um, and I will defend that as long as we talk about Farseer. Um, I think that, you know, people will say, well, now once you get the full story, you'll appreciate the book. I will still say book one was not well done. Okay. That's my final thought for this. Wow. Okay. So your final thought on book two is that you hate book one. No, my final <laughs> thought on book two is start with book two. Okay. Book book one, <laughs> at, with as good as book two was, just because book two turned it around and created better characters with a more compelling story does not then save book one. Right. Now, I think um, if this had been... Uh, if this had been marketed as, you know, pick, pick a title, Assassin's Apprentice, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, that would have changed my perception of Book 1 quite a bit. I still might not have uh, loved reading it, but I would have understood a little bit better that this is, uh, it is part of a single storyline that stretches over three books similar to the way the Lord of the Rings operates or it's a single book, but the publisher made it split into three. Um, in reality, because it's marketed as, you know, three separate tomes, I think that's kind of what leads me to my dissatisfaction with book one, where it's like, I guess when I think of a trilogy, it doesn't have, it, it can be one way or the other, you know, you can go the Tolkien way, but then it, it is all under the Lord of the Rings umbrella or, I remember as a kid reading the Terry Brooks series that we read, the first trilogy, where it is a trilogy and it follows some of the same characters, but each story is discrete and has a beginning, middle, and end. And book one and book one definitely did not. Uh, book two had a better beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, does that make sense? Yeah, like, it makes I sense. think because of the way it's bound yeah. and marketed. I don't know that I necessarily agree. It makes sense, and I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I think that going into this, I knew that this was a trilogy. I knew that this was a a continuing story, but you still have to have like all of the weaknesses that we talked about in book one. Now that we have, you know, hindsight after reading book two, those are still huge weaknesses sure. and no, faults I, to that. I'm book. with you. I'm you know with you. I mean? So, I I don't think that it necessarily, at least for me has anything to do with the way that they were bound or marketed or whatever. I think that Hobbes took, Hob. Hob took, you know, 700 pages to figure out how she wanted to write this character. And she didn't figure that out until 700 pages in, which is a quarter of the way through the second book. Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, Ryan, final thoughts. I'm hoping that in our next episode, Something that we're not always great at is discussion of character characters specifically. We tend to talk about them in relation to events. Okay. Um, and this, I do think that this series is best served if you can speak to the traits of a character rather than the events. Interesting. Um, I really, really like Ketrikin 
I really like the fool. Um, and they're, they're like, I like them more than I like Fitz, quite honestly. It's uh, it's sometimes. And I think that they as characters, they're worth, they're worth discussion because they, they are very different stories that you can follow. Yeah. And their worth, their stories are worth the time to follow as well. And even now, are you talking about their stories outside of what we know in this story? Right. Even just even just Ketrickin in this book. Because yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is I I really enjoyed her arc with um, going from a frustrated queen in waiting, kind of stuck in the castle, to taking charge and becoming, um, you know, a leader that the people want to follow. Um, her connection and her connection to Verity, like. Yep. Those are they're very real frustrations, they're very real things, and watching her deal with them through Fitz's eyes, but watching her deal with them made her a character that I was that I am rooting for. Sure. And I'm and I feel a stronger connection there because she is making decisions that are connected between not just duty, but but love and a connection that she has with Verity that quite frankly, in royal marriages and in fantasy, there love's not really a requirement in a lot of those. Right. And it wasn't a requirement in the formation of this one either, but it became a thing. So yeah, that was a good story. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We probably should have devoted more time to that in this episode. Uh, however, I will say that uh, from what I've read in book two, I have full confidence that we will have a lot more to talk about with both of those characters in the next episode. Yes. Um, and so if we reference stuff from book two, that's great at that point. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Real quick, this is my final thought. My frustration with a certain storyline. Ryan, you mentioned before I ever even started reading these, you said uh, you're going to like certain things about it, but certain decisions that Robin Hobb makes are going to frustrate you. And throughout book one, I remember several points where I'm like, Ryan was right. Ryan was right. I am so frustrated. And then book two goes and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of into this. I, I'm not so frustrated with this. And then uh, I decided not to be frustrated with this. I decided to just chalk it up to uh, different strokes or, you know, a different story than the one I might have told. Uh, but the moment when Ketrickin goes to Verity and says, uh, we need to find the elderlings and she wants to go do it. And he's like, no, I'm going to take this task on myself. And I'm like, okay, let's go. We're going to go find the elderlings. And then Verity just disappears. And she says, it, she takes the, the whole idea of the heroic quest that you get so often in fantasy books. And she says, yep, somebody's going to go do that off screen, completely <laughs> off screen. Seeds and, of intrigue. <laughs> at the uh, so when that happened, at that moment, I was like, "You've got to be freaking kidding me!" Um, and then as the story went on, I just decided, you know what? No, that's this is just a different book than the one I might have written, and that's okay. Um, she wanted to tell a story about court intrigue, and uh, you know, spies and assassins and all of that in this castle, and that's fine. I was like I said earlier, it was a Actually, at that point, when Verity left, it wasn't much more than halfway through the book. Um, and the book really picked up for me. I was really interested. So I ended up being just fine with it. But there was that moment where I was like, don't you dare. Oh, she dared. Oh, my gosh. And, and I, was, uh, I was ready to throw a fit. 
uh, a fits, but then I decided not to. So. I will stand by my previous comment, and that's going to continue in book three. There will be there's one moment specifically that I'm putting I'm putting money right down on the table right now that you will go, what the are you doing? Why? <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, I look forward to it. So, um, okay, let's call it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, just a reminder, patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go support the show. And please join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. I am not sure if we will post this on the Robin Hob subreddit, but I think we kind of should, just for funsies. Um, we, we, we have to. We, we have to at this point. At this point, um, we're planting our flag in, hey, we kind of look book, like book two. It was pretty good. Um so bring it on, I guess. So anyway, and join us everywhere else. Also Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, something. I don't know, whatever. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you. I think next week is actually um, uh, Aquaman. So we'll be discussing Aquaman. And then we'll come back with Farseer number three in a little while. Two you, weeks, three weeks. Do you weeks, have something. to have seen the prequel to Aquaman to get this one? The prequel to Aquaman? Yeah. BVS? water boy what <laughs> uh the end <laughs>